about those things and get our time started. Father, we do ask for awareness uh, wherever you place us, that we are a people on mission, a people tasked with uh, producing fruits of the kingdom, um, Lord. So we just pray that we'd be faithful, um, give us insight into conversations and people that are around us. Uh, Lord, we um, just pray even um, for that, as Rachel has mentioned, and also just uh, pray for Gary as he's at Down Manor. Thank you that he has that awareness and the connections with believers there that he has already made. Uh, Lord, we pray for opportunities. And uh, we just pray for um, continued opportunities this week as we go to be faithful, to proclaim uh, your excellencies. Lord, we thank you for this morning and just pray that you bless our time together. In your name, amen. Okay, um, quickly, uh, we will uh, not have equipping hour next week, um, but we'll continue the week after. So uh, next week it's canceled. Um, so just be aware of that. Um, and then uh, that's, I guess that's the only um, logistical announcement. Uh, let's review where we're at. So we are talking about God as Trinity in our whole kind of overarching discussion of knowing God. Uh, we've talked about how knowing God is the goal of humanity, right? To know God relationally uh, in a, uh, a, a peaceful, harmonious way, to know him notionally, to know him with our minds, but not just stopping there, but knowing, transferring that notional knowledge into affections and then to actions. Uh, and we've talked about many of the attributes of God. I mean, him as creator, him as eternal. Uh, we talked about his name, which will come into play a little bit today. Um, and now uh, we're talking about God as Trinity. And we said last week that uh, this isn't like uh, a side doctrine to Christianity. This isn't some uh, esoteric thing. This is central to who our God is. This is our God. He is one God in three persons. And so if we're talking about knowing God, the question is then how do we relate to this triune God rightly? And we just kind of set up the, the game plan a little bit as far as saying that the Trinity is progressively revealed through Scripture. So it's not revealed all at once. God didn't reveal it all at once. Although what you find in the Old Testament is a definite declaration of God's oneness while at the same time, hints of that a plurality, a distinction in that oneness. Uh, and then once we get to the New Testament, which Lord willing we'll get to a little bit today, we get uh, the full-blown, more explicit, okay, now we understand there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so kind of our investigation, um, what we're doing right now, is just to see from the scriptures, there is oneness affirmed in the Old Testament with hints of plurality or distinctness, uh, but then, uh, and we're going to look at some more Old Testament texts today, but it's just hinted at, and then we'll move into the New Testament to get that explicitness. So we're following the flow of uh, redemptive uh, revel revelation in the scriptures, okay? So what we saw last week, Genesis 1, uh, God creates everything, one God creates everything, but then there's also this let us language, let us create man in his image, or Genesis 3.20. Two, after the fall, the, behold, the man has become like one from us, knowing good and evil. So we've got unity of being, but a plurality of persons, or at least some, some hint to that. Now, there's some sort of plurality going on. Uh, we did walk through some texts like um, Exodus 20, verse 3, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, all affirming there is one God and only one God. There is no other um, God affirms that. So we know that God is exclusive. He is unique. He is ex um, there are no other gods like him. There are other spiritual beings, but there are no other gods. And so that's kind of where we left off. Before we keep moving today, are there any questions or comments 
on where we're at, where we're going, any clarifying points. This is hard. Uh, there's no doubt it's hard because the Trinity is like, unlike any other being in existence. So it's hard. But God has revealed himself in this way sufficiently for us to know him to the level he wants us to. Okay? But any questions or comments before we keep going? All right, so then let's talk next, so more Old Testament, uh, and what we're trying to show is just this idea that, yes, in the Old Testament, God is definitely affirmed to be one, and yet we get hints of a plurality of some sort uh, in this one being, okay? So let's next talk about the messenger of Yahweh, otherwise regularly known as the angel of the Lord, okay? So typically, when you read um, the... Uh, the, your, your English versions, uh, this character is going to be referred to as the angel of the Lord. Now, that's a somewhat unfortunate rendering because the word for angel, both in Hebrew and in Greek, just means messenger, okay? Um, so keep that in mind. Um, so uh, uh, sometimes that word, angel, is actually used of human messengers, but sometimes, and very often, it's used of some supernatural messenger, hence angel, okay? But when we think about angel, we're only thinking about the supernatural messenger, okay? So rather than refer to this person as angel of the Lord, and you will notice that when you see that title in your Old Testament um, scriptures, the Lord is capital L-O-R-D, which means what? Yeah, it's Yahweh, right? It's God's, God's personal name. So really, I think a better rendering, just a more neutral rendering, would be messenger of Yahweh. Messenger of Yahweh. I think it's just helpful uh, for the discussion we're about to have. Okay? So there's this fellow, uh, the messenger of Yahweh. And he shows up throughout the Old Testament, like multiple times. Especially in the early chapters, in the Pentateuch, uh, but even later. Uh, but throughout, he really shows up. Okay? And so he's interesting. Uh, let's just put it that way. The first time he shows up, and the ladies know this, who have been going to the women's Bible study, he shows up in Genesis 16. Okay, so very early on. Um, and let's look at Genesis 16. Now, what's going on in Genesis 16 is um, Abraham has this promise of having uh, of offspring. He doesn't have it yet, and so Sarah and him contrive through other means to generate an heir. Uh, and so they say, well, let's, um, Abram, why don't you take Hagar, and then you can get the child of promise uh, by kind of forcing it, right, um, is the idea. And so Hagar conceives um, Abraham's child, and, uh, and then um, Sarah gets um, mad and essentially throws Hagar out, or Hagar runs away. And that's what's going on in the middle of um, Genesis 16, so that's the context. Uh, let's start reading Genesis 16, uh, 7 and then through verse 16. So Genesis 16, 7 through 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, when have, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, 
because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Pir Lahiroi. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Okay, lots going on in this text, um, but we want to focus in on this fellow, the angel of the Lord, or the messenger of Yahweh. Now, just that phrase, messenger of Yahweh, on the surface of it, is this... Um, Yahweh or someone distinct. I'm not talking about impl further implications. I'm just talking about the phrase itself, messenger of Yahweh. If I just use the term messenger of Yahweh, is that someone who is Yahweh or is distinct from Yahweh? Distinct, distinct right? It's a messenger of Yahweh. It's someone whom Yahweh is sending. And in this case, this messenger is speaking on behalf of Yahweh, okay? So far, so good. So if we're talking an angel here, that makes sense. A supernatural messenger uh, relaying information. That's all well and good until we get to verse 13. Because what happens in verse 13? She calls him God. Yeah, so Hagar says to the name of Yahweh who spoke to her. So some people say, well, a messenger is treated just like the person himself, so maybe it's just kind of abridging the relay. But I think there's more to it than that, um, um, because even in what uh, Hagar says and what she calls the place, you are a God of seeing, uh, and Bir Lahairoi is essentially, it's the well of the um, seeing him who's seen me, or uh, th that sort of an idea. So it seems like um, Hagar saying, I saw the messenger of Yahweh, and yes, he's a messenger, but he's also Yahweh. And this isn't the only time this happens. It happens multiple times. Go to Genesis 22. So later on in the Abraham story, um, the Abraham arc in um, Genesis, uh, Isaac is still very much in play here. Genesis 22 is all about the, um, the sacrifice of Isaac. Um, and so in, you know the story. Uh, God says, go sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. And Abraham is obedient. He's about to strike his son. And then right in the middle of all this drama, uh, look at Genesis 22, 11, and someone read 11 and, 11 and 12 in Genesis 22. Good. So, um, uh, and uh, we've got the messenger of Yahweh here again. Uh, the messenger calls to him from heaven, um, and uh, he, uh, the idea here is uh, this messenger, and as you read the surrounding context, he speaks as, um, he speaks as God, right? They're identified together. Okay, and it continues. You keep looking on and on. Now, one other thing that you notice, you probably, you might notice it in Genesis 16 and in Genesis 22. Um, 
what, what is the angel or the messenger, sorry, what is the messenger speaking about, both in Genesis 16 and in Genesis 22? What in general? So you kind of have to think in general terms here. In general, what is he talking about? Yeah, which is a very key covenantal idea, right? It's key to the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, but uh, remember, uh, God promises to Abraham, uh, in your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. You're going to have a lot of offspring. So even thinking about Genesis 16 with Hagar and Ishmael, Ishmael is Abraham's offspring, right? So he gets a benefit um, of being, um, he's not the covenant, the chosen covenant line, but he still gets the benefit of being Abraham's child and having uh, some of those material, tangible blessings, right? But more particularly in Genesis 22, uh, you've got Abraham's about to kill the, the, the child of promise uh, and the angel of the Lord, um, who also gets essentially identified as God here, uh, is um, he's saying, don't, don't kill this child. And then we see the promise later on that through this offspring, this offspring's gonna through this offspring, the it's gonna possess the gate of your enemies. Um, so what you need to keep in mind with this guy, the messenger of Yahweh, is he's like the covenant enforcer. That's like his job, and it's consistent as you walk through all the passages of Scripture. He's always there to enforce or bring about the promises of the covenant. You can see this uh, if you go into Exodus. Go to Exodus. Exodus 3. So, by Exodus, the, uh, the children of Israel, they've multiplied in fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, and then, um, but they're enslaved, so we know that set up, and then we get Exodus 3. Um, so someone go ahead and read um, Exodus, oh, let's say 3, 1 through 6. So someone go ahead and read 3, 1 through 6. Okay, who appears to Moses? The messenger of Yahweh. He does indeed appear in the bush, right? Who speaks to Moses? God does, right? Out of the bush, right? Um, so again, the messenger of Yahweh and Yahweh himself are closely identified. We already said that messenger of Yahweh as a title uh, indicates some distinctness um, from Yahweh, and yet we see also identity, 
right? But why, and why does the messenger of Yahweh appear in the bush? Well, because it's in fulfillment of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant that God is going to, remember, uh, God promised in Genesis 15 that he's going to, even though Israel's going to be, Abraham's offspring is going to be enslaved, uh, he's going to rescue them. And so this is the fulfillment of that. He's sending the messenger. And the messenger is not just like a messenger, like speaking. Uh, turn to Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus uh, 23. So this is later on after the Exodus has happened. Uh, look at Exodus 23 and verse 21. Uh, sorry, uh, verse 20 through 23. Exodus 23, verse 20 through 23. And sorry, I'm cutting you off kind of mid-sentence there, but it, gives, it shows us what we want to see. Okay, um, remember, every time you see the word angel, you could just as easily translate it messenger, okay? So, and given the context of Exodus, uh, and there's, there's even more in context that would support, he's talking about the messenger of Yahweh here. What is astounding about what you hear about this messenger and how God talks about him in this, this text? Yeah, so this guy, um, God is saying, Yahweh is saying, obey him. And then not only that, but um, you, you, um, he, he at least indicates that this, this, this messenger has the power to pardon transgressions. Now that should kind of remind you of an incident that Jesus has in the New Testament. And remember, he heals a paralytic and he says, your son, your sins are forgiven. And the Jews are like, hey, no one can forgive sins except who? God alone. And that's true. That's a true assertion. And it's a true assertion in Exodus, too. Only God can forgive sins. There's more to it even than that. What else is, is said here that's kind of astounding? My name is in him. My name. Yahweh is saying, my name is in him. Now, that should, given all of our study of God's name, that should be like, what? Because God has been revealing his name in the Exodus narrative his name uh, has the connotation of his being, of his character, and he's saying, my name's in him. Um, and so together, this package, we see uh, the uh, messenger, God, Yahweh, identifies uh, the messenger as effectively God. Um, yeah, Brenda. Isn't there, isn't there a verse that actually says, I will give my name to no other? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean... Or at least his glory, right? But we just imagine the idea of, um, like, all of that's kind of a package deal. His glory, his name. Like, God doesn't, God preserves his name for himself, right? He's very, uh, what does he do in Exodus 34? Remember what he did in Exodus 34? Uh, you can turn over there. We looked at this when we were talking about God's personal name, Yahweh. So when God is talking about the name, 
um, it's talking about Yahweh. And you remember what happens later in Exodus 34. Um, uh, let's see, what verse are we in here? Yeah, so verse 6, Yahweh um, appears to Moses in Exodus 34. Yahweh passed before him. Oh, oh sorry, let me back up to verse 4. Sorry, Exodus 34, verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up to, on Mount Sinai as the Lord, Yahweh had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping trans steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So what is God doing there? God is proclaiming his name, and you can see God is packing his name and the revelation of his name with all of his character. So to then say earlier in Exodus 23, I'm going to send a messenger, and the, me um, the messenger has my name in him, and you need to obey him, and he, can um, he has the potential to forgive sins or not. Uh, that's astounding, right? So we have both distinctness and also uh, we, we have God identifying some, uh, some other person, some other agent as God, and yet we know already from the biblical record there is one God. Um, but this messenger of Yahweh is God. But notice what he's doing in Exodus 23. What was it, what was it said the messenger's doing in Exodus 23? What does he do? Leads them. Yeah, the messenger of Yahweh leads them. He's leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so when you see like the cloud that's going along the pillar of fire, there's indications that the presence that's in the pillar of fire is the messenger of Yahweh. So all of this comes together. And um, if you would say, really, are you sure that this guy, and, and we could look at more text. There's a lot more text. I wrote a paper about all of this, but um, there's a lot more texts that we could go to. But what's really cool, go to Jude. <laughs> Go to Jude, right before Revelation, little baby Jude. Uh, someone read Jude 5. Okay, that's as black as white as you can get. Now, there is a textual issue with some manuscripts read Jesus, some manuscripts read, um, read Lord, uh, but the textual evidence um, leans towards Jesus. Like, that's the better reading, okay? It's the harder reading for sure. But what does that effectively say? It kind of rips the curtain off and says, hey, that guy, uh, the messenger of Yahweh that you saw uh, leading the people out of Egypt... Uh, and destroyed those in the desert who didn't believe, the destroyer, even the destroyer in the Passover situation. Who was that? It was Jesus, the person of the Son. Now, you don't know that in the Old Testament. You have to wait till you get to the New Testament to kind of say, oh, by the way. Um, but we are right in seeing that with the messenger of Yahweh, he is 
Um, he is Yahweh, and he is distinct from Yahweh at the same time. Uh, and it's a tension that's not resolved in the Old Testament, uh, but it is, it is, we see it there. It is there in the text. Um, and what we see the messenger of Yahweh doing consistently, and we only looked at a few texts, but we already saw it, is he's the covenant enforcer. He's the one that brings about the promises of the covenant. Or if you disobey God's law and God's covenant, he's the one that's going to bring punishment. So uh, that is what the messenger of Yahweh does. And um, the messenger of Yahweh effectively was God's agent to lead the first exodus. Now, if you think about all we've been talking about in Matthew and seeing about Jesus, Jesus also leads God's people, what? Into the new covenant and also into the second exodus. Um, So he's just reprising his role uh, that he held secretly, so to speak, in the Old Testament in the new, which is just astounding. Uh, It's just really, really awesome and cool. My point in bringing you and showing you in the Old Testament is already in the Old Testament, even with the messenger of Yahweh, we've got someone who is Yahweh, but is also distinct from Yahweh in some sense. Uh, And that tension is left unresolved until we get to the New Testament. Uh, Questions on the messenger of Yahweh? Okay, so I don't like using... Oh, yeah, I'll get you, Bruce. Um, Yeah. Yes, yes. So at least, um, yeah, so Genesis 18, what happens in Genesis 18, you've got three visitors to Abraham. Uh, two are like supernatural angels, okay? So supernatural messengers, your, your average Joe angel, let's just say it like that. And then, uh, because we, we know, we know that's true because it talks about how they go into Sodom, they're called angels, we've got two of them. Uh, and uh, so they're your... You're kind of, they're your created angels, right? But we do know that um, a God is manifesting his presence in some physical way in Genesis 18, but there is no indication that it's necessarily the messenger of Yahweh. It's God and manifesting himself in some way, uh, but it doesn't, it's not explicit that it's the messenger of Yahweh there, I don't believe. So, okay. Um, uh, what's that? Yeah, Samson, so the messenger of Yahweh shows up with Balaam, he shows up with Samson's parents, like he shows up a, a lot of times, so he's like this well-defined character that pops in, he's kind of mysterious, he's, uh, I would argue he's the same uh, dude that uh, meets Joshua uh, right before he goes in and conquers the land, the commander of the Lord's army, because the same, it, it, allu- it uses the same language with the bush incident, and who appeared in the bush? It was the messenger of Yahweh. And so now he's the commander of the Lord's army. What is he doing? He's helping Joshua fulfill covenant promises. That's what he does. That's his job, okay, uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, any other questions or comments on that? Yes, Kevin. Is, uh, is it appropriate to say pre-incarnate Christ? I would just use the title that the Old Testament gives him, at least in the Old Testament, right? Messenger of Yahweh. That's who he is. Uh, and what's really interesting, so what we also see when it t- says messenger, when we think of messenger, we just think, oh, someone who's speaking for someone else. And no doubt that's true, but he's more than that, right? He's a messenger in the sense of like he's an agent. And that's in general in the ancient Near East. If you have a messenger, he's like not just, okay, I'm a messenger and I'm telling you stuff, but he's also an agent on behalf of, of God. Um, and you see that in the Old Testament. Um, and of course, once you get to the New Testament, and especially if you think about John, John uses all this language about Jesus being sent from the Father uh, to accomplish his will. 
uh, like already there's a lot of the similarities and concept uh, for what Jesus comes to do. I don't like using the term angel of the Lord because, like I said, when you hear that as a Westerner, you just automatically think, oh, supernatural created being. Well, he's not a created being. He's just a messenger. Uh, And so if you say messenger of Yahweh or messenger of the Lord, then you're just preserving that idea that he's an agent, uh, but he's not definitely not a created being um, because he's identified with God himself. Okay. Yes, Susan. Yes. Right. Well, because we're all we're trying to argue is is um, is um, at least in the Old Testament, all we're trying to argue. We're not we're not saying, I'm not even saying or claiming that the Old Testament says this is like the second person of the Trinity. All I'm claiming is that we have one God, and we have a plurality of persons. And we're not even trying to identify the persons. We get more specificity when we get to the New Testament. And essentially what I would argue for is the New Testament, like in cases like Jude, but also in other places as well, identifies the messenger of Yahweh uh, with the second person of the Trinity, the Son. So he was just incognito in that, or, I mean, he was who he was, but like he's, he's, he's playing this role and that identification of him being Jesus doesn't happen until the New Testament. Yeah, so there's, there's three, and I'm not saying there's, there are any more than that. I'm just saying that we get unity, hints of unity and plurality in the Old Testament. And that's about all you get. Uh, you don't get the specificity until you get to the New Testament. Um, I mean, Jude 5 was my kind of summary attempt to do that. So there are not many. I will, uh, so that's where some people argue against the idea. Um, some faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord say, no, I don't think the messenger of Yahweh is a pre-incarnate Christ. Um, and there's, there's reasons they would say that. Uh, and especially the, one of the things they would say is like, once you get to the New Testament, no one's arguing for that. Like none of the apostles is arguing for that directly. Um, it's not until later in the early church that you get that argument. Um, but I would say there is enough evidence in the New Testament text like Jude 5. Also, Paul talks about uh, in 1 Corinthians 10. We can go ahead and go there. Go ahead to 1 Corinthians 10. Um, actually, let's, let's do this. I'm sorry to switch gears. We'll go, to Matthew, uh, go to Matthew 11. Here's another text that would... (laughs) Okay. Uh, I actually preached on this when we... Well, obviously I preached on Matthew 11, but I I indicated some of this when we were uh, in Matthew 11. So Matthew 11 is talking... um, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist... And you're like, what does this have to do with uh, the messenger of Yahweh in the Old Testament? Well, you'll see. Uh, Someone read verse 9 through 10. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, 
Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Okay, so now what's happening here is uh, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and he's also quoting Malachi 3.1. In Malachi 3.1, Malach is the word uh, messenger, the same word that's used messenger of Yahweh. So Malachi is my messenger. That's literally what Malachi means, okay? Um, but in Malachi 3.1, you get this very interesting verse where you have the same thing happening that um, has happened uh, with the messenger of Yahweh throughout. You have, um, you have God speaking. So what Jesus is quoting, God, Yahweh, is speaking. And Yahweh is saying, I'm going to send my messenger uh, before your face. Now, if you go back to Malachi 3.1, you're going to see that the messenger who gets sent is God. He's the Lord. So there, even in Malachi 3.1, you've got a tension between God speaking and saying, yeah, I'm going to send uh, the, my messenger the Lord of the covenant, the, 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 the messenger of the covenant. And you're like, well, who's the messenger of the covenant? But we've already got this character that's been showing up throughout the Old Testament who is what? He's the covenant enforcer. Uh, he's the guy that brings about all the covenant promises. And so what you have in Malachi 3.1, I believe, is Malachi in his own day saying, uh, God is saying, I'm going to send the, um, I'm going to send the messenger of the covenant the Lord is going to appear suddenly at his temple. And now in Matthew, we've got Jesus, which is kind of funny when you think about what's going on here, reflecting on this, and he's reflecting on John the Baptist. He's saying, I'm going to send my messenger, John, before your face, before God's face, uh, and, who, uh, and so it creates this idea that John the Baptist is going to come, uh, is going to be sent before uh, Jesus, or before uh, the messenger of the covenant comes. And so what is Jesus effectively doing there, if you think about what's going on? He's saying, well, John spoke of, uh, God, John's preparing the way for God coming. He's preparing the way for the messenger of the covenant coming. Well, who came after John? Jesus. So Jesus is effectively identifying himself with that, I would argue, with that messenger of the covenant. You look at it, it, I'm not saying it's not complicated, but uh, when you look and line up uh, the pieces, it seems that that's what's happening. 1 Corinthians 10, which is where I was first going to go, is another indication. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. I'll go ahead and start reading from 1 Corinthians 10, 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. So pause right there and think about what Paul is saying. He's reflecting on an Old Testament, on, he's really reflecting on Deuteronomy 32 where it talks about God is the rock who delivered the people out from Egypt. Now that is true. But we've also seen, even in the Old Testament, who delivered, who specifically delivered people out from Egypt. It's the messenger. And here, Paul is very explicit in saying, yeah, the rock was Christ. Um, and we get even more. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, that people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Uh, Now these things happen to them as an example, but they have been written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Okay, I'm going to pause there. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, the people in in, uh, the Exodus generation, they disobeyed against Christ. You're like, how? Well, the only way it makes sense is if he's talking about disobeying, like we saw in Exodus 23, the messenger of Yahweh. And so I believe it's it's not uh, 100% explicit, but I believe Paul is saying, yeah, Christ is the messenger of the covenant. Uh, Christ is the messenger of Yahweh. It's the same guy. Because otherwise, how could the people disobey Christ, the person of the Son? Um, And so I would argue from Matthew 11, I would argue from 1 Corinthians 10, I would argue from Jude uh, Jude, uh, 5, together with all the Old Testament evidence to say that, yeah, the messenger of Yahweh is, uh, I wouldn't call it pre-incarnate Christ because I think that's anachronistic, but they're the same person. They're the same person who's operating, okay? Um, so I think there's Old Testament, or New Testament identification. Uh, he even says here, the destroyer. And if you look carefully, even in the Old Testament, the messenger of Yahweh and the destroyer are the same. Uh, because if you look at, uh, remember when, um, remember when uh, David takes a census and uh, then God's destroying Israelites? It's the, angel, it's the messenger of Yahweh showing up with a drawn sword and First Samuel calls him, the First Samuel version calls him the messenger of the Yahweh, and the First Chronicles version calls him the destroyer. So uh, Jesus is also the destroyer, who is also the person, the messenger, who killed the firstborn in Egypt. So when you start linking these things up, um, it, it is grand and also kind of uh, terrifying, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it kind of, there's a wrong way we could talk about Jesus. Jesus is, is loving, he is sacrificial, he is humble, he is gracious, but he's also a judge. And he's also, as we see even in Matthew, he calls himself, I'm going to be the judge, um, and he's scary. Um, he's both tender and tough. Uh, and that is the reality of who the Son, that it's the reality of who God is, it's the reality of who Christ is. So, um, we kind of see that as a side point in all of this discussion, okay? Uh, questions? Yes, Tony. So, kind of turning uh, back a little bit, um, and I'm just going to throw this out there. So, if you go back to Exodus 34, yeah. follow on a little bit in verse 10. This is one of the things, there, there's probably, there's, I know there's other scripture I can't think of right on my head, I can reference for certain things that Mm-hmm. He said, 
Mm-hmm. Because that's exactly mm-hmm. the same thing he says yeah. he will do. Yeah. So there's an equation. Yep. So what catches my eye is this concept of creating. Mm-hmm. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth. Sure. Right, yeah. And then I also go to, um, I believe it's in Romans, where Paul is talking about God calls into being those things which are not. Mm-hmm. And he's actually referencing the, really the miracle of salvation. Sure. And so what I start to see is what's really happening is we try to quantify and qualify these aspects or manifestations of God, but it's really God presenting, presenting himself Mm-hmm. But he's a spiritual being, mm-hmm. so we see these distinct manifestations, mm-hmm. the Shekinah glory, sure. you know, this messenger, yeah. Christ even, but they are God mm-hmm. in these manifestations. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in, as revealed in the New Testament, we are given the triune mm-hmm. specificity yes. for, for, for quantifying yeah. Sure. But the element really boils down to salvation. He's showing this reconciliation yep. and this salvation. And that's the true power, but it's through this manifestation. So that's kind of what I see as God presenting himself as yes. Oh, of course. And that goes back to one of the earlier things that we talked about is that God is inherently communicative in his being, right? Uh, he communicates within himself eternally, and then he creates. And then um, he communicates himself, reveals himself. And so he reveals himself in uh, various ways, obviously through the scriptures, through the words of scripture. But he also has revealed himself in um, his persons um, throughout time and even in their actions, right? So it's not just um, God's like just saying, well, here's who I am and oh, isn't that cool? But he's also, he's doing something that the as it will be seen in the New Testament, the triune God is working together perfectly, harmoniously uh, to uh, draw his creation um, into relationship with himself. And so he does that in a very um, dramatic way, um, meaning drama, um, from Genesis to Revelation. And he has hints and mystery and then (coughs) reveals that, and there's mic drop moments throughout and all of that sort of a thing. and it's, it's beautiful because it redounds to his glory. So, yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to pause there. So we didn't even get out of the Old Testament. That's okay. Um, messenger of Yahweh is a hard one, um, but uh, hopefully that blesses your soul. Um, I, uh, it's, um, it's just, it amazes me to see, um, yeah, just kind of that, that aspect where God is, uh, Jesus wasn't off the scene. The sun wasn't off the scene in the Old Testament. Um, he was working, just working in a sense, ign- not under the name of the Son, um, which he still was the Son, but just, uh, just, just really neat, I think. So, all right, let's pause there and let's pray. Um, remember, no equipping hour next week, so we will pick it up uh, the week after. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. You are the Father who sends the Son, 
and this, um, the Spirit. Um, Son, you send the Spirit as well, O Lord God, and you, all three persons, work in perfect harmony to glorify yourself, to glorify the name, the one singular name, Yahweh, uh, the God who is. And we thank you and we praise you. We thank you how you've revealed yourself. We pray that we would speak of you rightly, um, that we would understand the scriptures and how you've revealed yourself, that we would communicate and commune with you rightly, and um, that you would be honored. Lord, you have prescribed for us the gathering that is about to happen here shortly. Uh, and you say, Lord Jesus, that you put your name on the gathering. And so we just pray that you would bless that time, uh, that you would be honored in the singing of your praises, uh, the preaching of your word, the fellowship that happens, the corporate prayer. Um, Lord, that you would be honored and that you would change our hearts and that you would change all hearts that are coming uh, uh, this morning. We ask these things and pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen.